Well, it's good to see you this evening. Uh, encourages me that anybody came back when it was announced that I'd be preaching. So that's, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, the connection he's talking about, I got saved. I grew up in West Virginia. And the pastor there that discipled me, Rick Setzer, uh, actually grew up over in Minster and New Knoxville, married a girl from New Knoxville, uh, Tammy Henshin, and uh, they were there as teenagers in that uh, Calvary Chapel church, and then uh, he uh, was led to uh, West Virginia, and so uh, some of the folks here know them, and that's the connection Pastor Jim was talking about. Uh, but if you have your Bible with you tonight, let's, uh, let's jump right in, Ephesians chapter 3. I want to talk to you about increasing our reliance on God, increasing our reliance on God. And uh, tonight, I, I just want to remind you of the three most powerful words in the English language. They are, God is able. Would you say that with me? We've got three sections. Let's do this. You say God, you say is, you say able. When I point at you, God is able. All right, uh, I'm going to ask you to help me to preach a little bit tonight. And so uh, through the sermon, when I point at your section, remember your word and let's say that tonight. Let's encourage one another as we look to God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes to this church at Ephesus that uh, he had planted a few years before. And he says, Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Would you join me in praying and asking God to be our teacher tonight? Heavenly Father, we come to you humbling ourselves, admitting that we are in need. We do not know how to navigate every situation in life. We are not equipped with the knowledge that we need uh, to know how to handle the tough things that come our way. And so tonight, Lord, we're asking that you would make us teachable, that you would hold our attention for these next few moments with your holy word, and that, Lord, we might learn from you and learn about you and discover again, afresh and anew, that you are able uh, to see us through every circumstance, every situation that we face. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you would use me to be your mouthpiece. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, uh, Lord, I just pray and ask that I'd represent you rightly and accurately this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, while we realize that those may be three of the most important words in the English language, 
we have to remember that it takes more than just saying those words. You can go through life and just say God is able and really not experience the power of God. It requires belief. And so many things in the Christian life are this way. And uh, sometimes we, we may ask, well, how does that make a difference? And I would say, well, how does it make a difference in your salvation, right? Uh, the Bible says the devils believe and tremble that uh, there are those who can say that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, but until we believe it, it doesn't have an impact on our life. And so I would say that there are many Christians who, who can say God is able, and they can second that, and they can echo that, and they can uh, affirm that, but we don't always believe it. And uh, I think one of the challenges is that we learn at an early age that we are not able to do a lot of things. You know, I, I have kids at, at different stages of life, and so Jack, my oldest, 13, he's almost 14. Uh, Wyatt's 11, Cooper is 7, and I cannot begin to count the times that I've had to say to my kids, you can't do that, right? Any parents here ever have to say that to your kids? You can't do that. And it's not just because I, you know, don't want my children to have any fun, although parents don't want you to have fun. We really don't. We... That's why we tell you not to do... No, I'm just kidding. Oftentimes, it's because they don't have the ability to do it, right? Hey, Dad, can I shoot your AR-15? No, you're, you're not able to do that, you know. Uh, that, that, that's beyond your ability. We're not going to turn you loose with that. And so, as kids, we get conditioned to hearing that we're not able to do things, right? Uh, my son, Cooper, the youngest, he could really uh, just stand up and give testimony to that tonight because he's got two other brothers, two older brothers, who are able to do a lot more things than he is. And oftentimes we have to say, Cooper, no, you can't. You're not able. You're not big enough. You're not old enough. So just think about that for a moment. Uh, the impact that that has on us growing. We enter life and we learn. I don't have the ability to do everything. I am limited in my abilities. And then as we go through the course of life, we sometimes are painfully reminded uh, of our limitations, right? And so as we begin to grow and the testosterone enters the male body and the ego inflates much larger than the mind, we think that we are able to do a lot of things. Oh, wait, I can jump that. Oh, no, you can't, right? I can climb that. Uh-uh. I can make that. Nope, you can't. Uh, you know, and so we are reminded through life that we have limitations and, uh, and those can be reinforced and then the older we get, the less able we are to do things that we used to be able to do, right? And uh, so any folks that feel their age from, from time to time, I, I know Pastor Jim does, right? And uh, painfully reminded of that. You know, I, I think about my mom. Uh, one of the reasons we moved back to East, the main reason is because of my mom having some health issues and having needs. And, uh, you know, my mom, who was mom and dad for me when I was growing up, I mean, I don't know, I've never met a tougher lady than Judy Hall. Uh, you know, she was no nonsense, no makeup, no earrings, no tears. I mean, she was just tough as snuff and not half as nasty. And, uh, and so as a kid, I mean, she taught me how to chop wood. She taught me how to play baseball. She taught me how to wrestle. I mean, my mom, or as we used to say in West Virginia, wrestle. She could wrestle. And uh, she could, I mean, she was just, she was just tough. There was hardly a thing that my mom couldn't do. She was just that stubborn. She would do it. And, you know, now that she's into her 70s, she would have a hard time taking, walking up a step. 
because she has spinal stenosis, which uh, presses on that spinal cord and limits the mobility. So for her to pick up her foot six inches to make a step is a really hard task for her now. And so just think about what life conditions us, this life that is cursed by sin. It really pounds home day after day after day after day. You're not able. You're not able. You're not able. I'd like to do this. You're not able to do that. You've tried doing stuff like that before. You're, you're not able to do it. And the danger is that we may allow that reality of our limitations to become projected on God and we get into a situation that is beyond our ability and we have doubts about God's ability to get us through it. And while this is true of us, it is certainly not true of God. Just think about what the Bible says, Isaiah forty twenty eight. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. You know what I have realized? I just turned forty three. You're supposed to gasp when I say that. Like it cannot be, right? I just turned 43 last month, and what I have learned is I'm tired more now than I used to be, right? I I remember being 20, and man, you could get by in like four hours of sleep, and somebody said, hey, let's, you know, let's go take a road trip. Okay, I'm ready to go. Get me a Mountain Dew, and we're, we're, we're good to go on this thing. And now, you know, I can get like 12 hours of sleep, and I wake up, and I'm still tired. And when I read this, I am just wonderfully reminded that God never gets tired, right? How old is God? Well, eternity. I know He's been around for at least 6,000 years, right? We've got that much human history. I I have a, a woman in my church who just turned 100 in February. I've never met... Uh, a, a person who turned 100 years. I'm just so impressed. Sadie Repass. She's just the coolest lady you could ever, ever meet. Sweet lady. And the other day she's coming out of church and I said, Miss Sadie, I'm so glad that you're here today. I said, you know, you just, you inspire me. The fact that you're 100 years old and you're still getting around like this. I said, what, what is it like to be 100? And she says, it's about like what you would imagine. <laughs> And I have to tell you, I have no desire to make it to 100. I am just, if 43 feels like this, I cannot even imagine what triple digits feel like. And, uh, and so, here's God. He is eternal, but He doesn't get tired. He, he doesn't grow weary. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, then it cannot hear. And so all of those things that affect you and I and remind us of our lack of ability have no effect on our God, on our Creator, on our Redeemer. Remember what Jesus categorically declared about the ability of God. He said, with men it is impossible, but uh, not with God, for with God all things are possible. And so those limitations that bind you and I have no binding effect upon God. The fact is that we all have limitations as humans, and those limitations are accentuated in trying times. And so when we go through something difficult, we are reminded about how limited we are, right? When the medical diagnosis comes in that somebody in your family that you love has cancer, 
you're reminded, I don't have the ability to help. I don't have the ability to fix this problem. I don't have the ability to change that. When we hear about a heart attack, we're reminded, I don't have the ability to do anything for Dalton's dad. Uh, the death of someone, how, how do we do that? That's one of the hardest things as a pastor is to stand with a family who has lost someone that they love, knowing I don't have the power to do anything right now to change what you're going through or to change how you feel. And if we don't remember that God is able to do what we cannot do, we will become disillusioned and hopeless. You see, this is the real danger to God's people. As a matter of fact, this is what precipitated part of Paul's writing this section of Scripture to the disheartened Christians at Ephesus because he wanted to remind them just how able God is. Did you notice verse 13? Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Why did Paul go into this description of the ability of God? It's because the people at Ephesus were a little bit distraught and upset because of what they knew Paul was going through. And so think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy's like the superhero of the New Testament church. I mean, he's the one that goes into a town, gets beat down, gets back up, preaches the gospel and keeps on going. And so those people who have seen Paul and experienced his ministry and know how God is using him now have heard that he is locked away in prison and that he is confined and they are uh, disturbed by that. And Paul says, look, I, I, I don't want you. I don't want you to faint. I don't want you uh, to, to pass out, to give up because of the things that I'm going through. And so he went into this uh, description of how able God is. So what kind of power is this? Well, that Greek word that's translated able in uh, verse uh, number 20, is, uh, is uh, the dunamai. It's the verb form that means to have power. And then the noun form of that word is used a little later in the verse. It's uh, dunamis, and it's translated as power in the second half of the verse. So able and power is the verb form and the noun form of the same word, and it indicates what kind of power it is. Now, some people have described this as explosive power because it's from that root word that we get the English word dynamite, right? And so dynamite, dunamis, it's that, it's that connected word. And so I've heard people describe that and say, what kind of power does God have? He's got, he's got dynamite power. You know, you take a stick of dynamite and you can move things that you can't move with your bare hands, right? I mean, you ever been around that stuff? It is awesome. It's like firecrackers on steroids. I mean, you can blow rocks out of the ground. You can remove stumps. You can fish with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, it is powerful, powerful stuff. And, and so some people use that word. But here's the problem with that. That is reading back into the Bible something from contemporary life. Did they have dynamite in the Apostle Paul's day? No. No, they did not. And so it's not dynamite power. That's not what the author's intent was when he wrote this. He was not writing that saying, I want them to think God has dynamite type of power. And so the burden of the Bible student is to search the scriptures and say, what kind of power is this power? And the best description of this power, you ready for this? The best description of this power is this resurrection power. 
Resurrection power. Because it's the same word that is used in reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this. When Paul opened up his letter to the Romans, he said that God declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That is the most declarative statement that God ever made about Jesus. It was the resurrection. What a power that is. That is a power that exceeds all human power. You and I have lived long enough to know that when somebody dies, they don't recover from that. That is a power that is beyond our human abilities, our medical abilities, uh, our technology, uh, technology abilities. It is a power that belongs only to God. It is resurrection power. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. And so here in in this text, this power, this ability of God that exceeds our imagination is resurrection power. It is the power that can bring life out of death. We're talking about the power that defeated death, conquered hell, and raised Jesus to life again. That's power, isn't it? I mean, that's better than dynamite power. That is resurrection power. And here's the most pertinent part of this power, and that is that it acts on behalf of the believer. Right? It's one thing for me to say, I believe that God has the power. And I can look out the window and look at the sky and say, you know, I believe that God had the power to make that. And I can look at the trees and say, you know what? I believe God had the power to engineer that and to design that and to plant that and to make that happen. I, 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 can, I can catch a glimpse of the ocean and say, you know, I believe that God had the power uh, to make that. But it's a whole different ballgame when we say, you know what? I believe that, that, that God's power acts on my behalf. Right? That changes everything. So the resurrection power of God is available to us and it is active in us, but that's hard to believe, right? That gets back to the difference between saying it and believing it. Well, I believe God has the power, but do you believe that that power is active in your life and on your behalf? You say, well, it doesn't feel like it, right? That's the problem I have. It doesn't feel like it. I believe that God is powerful. I believe His Word when it says His power will act on my behalf. But man, it really doesn't feel like it when I'm going through difficult times. When I'm on my knees and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, help, I'm not able to do this. There is something inside of me that rises up that questions uh, if God's power is acting on my behalf. And so this is where I'm going to need you uh, to help me preach when I signal you. Because the fact is, that is not a problem that's unique to me or to you, but that everybody in God's Word that He used had the same doubts. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, just read through the Bible and look at every one of those men and women that God used, and every one of them expressed doubt about God's ability to use them. Right? Their doubt wasn't really in God, but their doubt was in that they could be used by God. And I really believe that this is one of the things that keeps the majority of Christians inactive in the church today. It is that doubt that God could actually use them to do His work. How about this? Abraham was not able to father a nation. Was he? 
Remember, Abraham was 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. And God gave him a promise. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to multiply you like the stars of the sky, like the sand of the sea. And Abraham's like, really? Because I'm 75 and I don't have any children yet. You say, how do you know that Abraham had doubts about that? Because him and Sarah decided to use a surrogate. Because Abraham and Sarah didn't think that God was able to fulfill his promise. And even though Abraham wasn't able, who is able? able. Did he prove that in Abraham's life? Yes. He gave him a son, and that son had a son, and that son had 12 sons. And then they began to grow and to multiply into a nation of people. How about Jacob? Jacob wasn't able to face his brother Esau, whom he had cheated out of his birthright. Do you remember? He went away for 20 years, and then God called him back to his homeland. And as he was going back, his greatest fear was in facing his brother Esau. I can't face him. I mean, he will tear me apart. As a matter of fact, he divided up his herds, and he sent them in front of him, and he sent gifts trying to appease Esau. And then he was so scared by this that he even divided up his family and he put the ones that he valued the most closest with him. And he sent the other people ahead of him. Why? Because Jacob wasn't able to face Esau. And by the way, that was Jacob's fault. Amen? That was a mess of Jacob's own making. He's the one that chose to do it in his own power and not to follow God's plan for his life. And he severed a relationship and he wronged his brother. And he is the one that got himself into that mess. But you know what is so good? The mess that Jacob couldn't get him out of, somebody else was able to get him out of it. God is able. Did he prove that he was able, right? Esau did not kill Jacob. As a matter of fact, he embraced him and he welcomed him and he did not follow through on his grudge. Joseph wasn't able. Do you remember? His brothers threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. He was taken down to Egypt. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife and then he was thrown into jail and he was locked up there for a couple of years. He wasn't able to endure that, but the Bible says in Genesis 37 that God was with him. And even though Joseph wasn't able... We found that God is able. And not only that, we find that Moses wasn't able. When God said, I'm going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt, what did he say? I can't do that. I'm not a gifted speaker. I can't stand before Pharaoh and I can't speak. But what did God prove time and time again? God is able and the ability of God is unleashed in the life of His people and He works on their behalf to do what they cannot do when they believe His promises. And the list will go on. King Saul didn't think that David was able to fight the giant, did he? David showed up, I'll fight him. You can't fight him. Don't you understand? That man is a man of war from his... You're just a kid. And this guy's been eating people like you for breakfast since he was a kid. And David says, I'm not able. But let me tell you about my God. Because I faced a bear that I wasn't able to defeat, but I defeated the bear. And I faced a lion that I wasn't able to defeat, but I defeated the lion. What is this uncircumcised Philistine? God will deliver me out of his hand. Did God prove that he was able in David's life? Hey, remind yourself, these are people just like you and I. These were not people who were a special breed set apart. They were simply people who believed in the ability of God in their life and God was able to work through them. How about Gideon? Gideon's like the poster boy for saying God's not able, isn't he? Because he shows up, the Midianites are in the land. He is down uh, threshing wheat by the wine press, which I am told that was not the place to thresh wheat. You 
threshed wheat on the hillside where the wind would carry the chaff away and let the seed drop. The winepress was usually in a valley, so there wasn't any wind. But because the Midianites were in the land like grasshoppers, if they saw somebody threshing wheat on the hillside, they'd let them do all the work and then march up there with their army and take all the food. And so here's Gideon. He's not able to fight these Midianites. He's not even able to protect his own food. He's hiding out in the valley trying to thresh his wheat when God's angel appears to him and says, Hey, you mighty man of valor. And in my mind, every time when I read that verse, I just see Gideon going. Like, you you talking to me, mighty man of valor? I'm hiding out down here. And God says, you know what? I'm going to use you to deliver, deliver your people from the Midianites. And he throws up question. Well, I can't do that. If you really want me to do that, then, then, then do this. Perform a miracle. Let me lay out the fleece and you make it wet and, and, and keep the ground dry. And God does that. And Gideon comes back. Well, you know, God, I, I'm not, I don't really like, you know, I, 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 I don't want to tick you off or anything. But, you, you know, maybe, maybe it's possible that there was a saturation effect in that wool that could have drawn moisture out of the ground. And the surface of the ground would feel dry, but it wicked up through the wool. So that, that, that's not a strong enough confirmation. How about this? How about tonight I lay it out, you keep it dry and make the rest of the ground wet. That, that is, that, that is, that is uh, technically impossible for it to happen. And he gets up the next morning, right, and he wrings a bowl of water out of it. But you know what? He still has doubts about God's ability to use him. And so that night, God lays it on his heart to walk, sneak down outside the camp of the Midianites. And a camp that had 135,000 soldiers in it, It just providentially happened that Gideon walked up to the portion of the camp where there's a guy who had just had a dream about a loaf of bread that rolled through their camp and knocked down their tent. And the other guy says, you know what that is? That's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You know what? God, in His grace, gave Gideon the confirmation that he needed to remind him, you're not able, but I'm able. How able is God? He's, a, he's exceeding abundantly able to do above all that we ask or think. Hold your place there in Ephesians and uh, go with me to the book of Daniel for a minute. I want you to see how God uses this word in Scripture. We go to Daniel chapter 3 to a familiar passage of Scripture, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar has made an image and he is commanding everyone to bow down and to worship that image. But these three young men who believe in Jehovah Elohim, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, cannot bow to a false image because that violates one of the Ten Commandments that God had given them not to have any graven images. And so in a crowd of thousands, they remain standing. It gets reported back to Nebuchadnezzar and he calls them on the carpet and he says, Look, guys, I'm going I'm, I'm to show you a little bit of mercy. I'm not going to execute you right now, but that music is going to play again in just a minute. And if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm going I'm to throw you in a furnace that's heated up seven times hotter than it's ever been before. Now, check this out. Verse 16. Uh, Verse 15, now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, one of my favorite words in Scripture if you're wondering, psaltery, uh, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But 
If you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? So let's just check out the scenario for a moment. Uh, there's three Hebrew guys in a foreign land. They have no weapons. They are surrounded by an army. And the most powerful ruler, not just in that land, but probably in the world at that time, is saying, you're going to do this or you're going to die. Is there any human way possible for them to get out of this thing? No. They can't fight their way out. They can't talk their way out. They can't run their way out. It is beyond their ability. But notice verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Hey, we don't have to think about this for one second. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is... Oh, let's try that again. This time all three sections get to say that word, okay? Here we go. If it be so, our God whom we serve is... To deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. Isn't that a terrific statement? These three young men knew that they didn't have the ability, but they believed in the ability of their God. And they said, look, we don't have to think twice about what we're going to say to you. We cannot bow. And we are not going to bow, but we know that our God is able to deliver us. And by the way, their resignation is He will deliver us one way or another. Either He'll take us out of the fire or He'll take us through the fire. Either way, we will not bow to you. Hey, what's the worst thing our enemies can do to us? Kill us? And the Bible says that that is no threat to a Christian. And I love how that story goes on and those men heated up that furnace and when they brought uh, these three guys close enough, I mean, it killed the guards who threw them in because of the heat index coming off of that furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there pompously on his throne and all of a sudden he asked his counsel, what, how many guys did we throw in the fire? And they said, three. And he says, I see four. And they're walking around in the midst of fire and one of them is like unto the Son of God. And here we find God's ability on display, active in the life of one of His believers. Turn again, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel faces the lion's den. We know this situation. These lions had not been fed. As a matter of fact, when other people are thrown in, they devour them before they even touch the ground. And so uh, these lions are vicious, uh, ferocious, hungry. And, uh, and Daniel has no ability to overcome one lion, much less a den of lions. But God's ability delivers him. And I love, I love how God works this word into this text. Then the king arose, so Daniel spends the night in the lion's den. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, this is Daniel chapter 6 verse 20, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, what? able to deliver thee from the lions. Was he able? He was able. God is able. And so as we think about the ability of God, we have to remind ourselves that none of these people that God used were able. But God is able. You say, I can't imagine myself in any one of these scenarios. 
I mean, becoming the, 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 the founder of a nation or becoming the leader of a military to standing up against a proud. I mean, when is that going to happen? How does God's ability work in my life? Well, let's go back to the New Testament as we approach the landing. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You say, you know, the place I need the ability of God is in the, is in the, the, the dark times of my life the sad times of my life, the times of loss, the times of hurt, the times of need, the times when I feel just absolutely overwhelmed. Is God able for that? And you know, the Apostle Paul, who was the hero of the New Testament, experienced those same feelings of anxiety and stress and sorrow and inability that we experience from time to time. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in the opening lines of this letter, he talks about what they have went through and he really becomes transparent and he expresses how they felt at this time. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Let me break that down for you because we don't talk exactly like that. But what Paul says is we were in a situation uh, that we would call trouble. And, and that word trouble means pressure. It's the idea of stress or opposition or affliction or anything that puts pressure on you. Do you ever find yourself in a pressure situation? They happen, don't they? They happen at work. They happen at home. They can happen on the highway when you're driving. Uh, they can happen in church sometimes. I'm telling you, life is full of pressure and trouble. And at times, it really closes in on us. As a matter of fact, Paul says, you know, that pressure that we felt, it pressed us out of measure. That is the idea of being stretched beyond limits, being overwhelmed. Paul says, this pressure that we were feeling stretched us to our human limit, and then it went beyond that. You ever been stretched to your limit? You ever just been under so much pressure and you feel like things are pulling on your life that you say, I can't, I can't handle one more thing. And Paul says, that's where we were. Well, I, I was overwhelmed by all the things that were pressing in on me. Look at this. This is interesting. Above strength. Above strength. You know, that's connected to that word we started with, that dunamis word. That means beyond our ability. Overpowered. Have you ever been overpowered? you ever gotten a wrestling match with somebody that you were outmatched by and they simply could just manipulate you? You could not. You could not grapple with them. You could not get away from them. They had the ability to overpower you. Paul said, this is what this situation was like. I mean, we were just, we were, we were overwhelmed. We were stretched beyond our limits. Uh, we, were, uh, we were beyond our ab ability in so much that we despaired of life. This is the point of complete loss and hopelessness. He says, you know what? We lost all hope at that point. Well, that's a pretty dark place to be in, isn't it? And uh, I know that from my short time on planet Earth, uh, life can be hard. 
we can be pressed beyond our ability. So what did the Paul, what did Paul do uh, when he came to the end of himself? Well, the beauty is that he put his faith in the God who is able to raise the dead. Watch this, verse 9. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Hey, what kind of power was that that God has? What kind of power was that? Do you remember? Resurrection power. So when Paul got to the very end where he said there was no human help possible, we couldn't petition Caesar, we couldn't cry out to the church, we had no hope of reinforcements coming in, our only resort was to trust in the God who had the power to raise the dead. Hey, that's the God that you and I serve today. And we need to learn to embrace the difficulties that bring us to that point in our life so that we cry out and we believe in the power of a God who has the ability to raise the dead the one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask because God has called us to a higher life. He's called us to live a life of victory and not one of defeat. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so I say, we're not able to save ourselves. But who's able? God's able. Hey, you know what I found? We're not able to give up sin. You ever try to give up sin? Sin. Ooh, it has tentacles that keeps reaching back on you, doesn't it? And you try to untangle yourself from it. And as you do, it gets a hold of you somewhere else. And in your power and in your strength, you cannot give up the sin which doth so easily beset you. And we have tried self-reform and we have tried every measure and every method and we are not able to give up some of those sins. But who is able? God is able. God is able to deliver you from that sin. God is able to deliver you from that addiction. God is able to deliver you from that abuse. You know what? We're not able to face trials in life sometimes. We're not able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But God is able to get us through. And we're not able, listen, Christians, we're not able to forgive. Anybody in this room ever been hurt by somebody else? Come on now. Let me see a hand. You ever been hurt by somebody else? If you're a human, you have. You know what makes forgiveness so hard? It means somebody's done you wrong. That's what makes forgiveness so hard. Somebody has wronged you. And I'm telling you, it's incredibly hard to forgive somebody. I've known people who have held grudges uh, to their deathbed because somebody did something wrong to them. And you and I, if we're just trying to reason our way through it, we're not going to be able to forgive that person. You know what's sad? Is that in churches, people whose lives, whole lives are predicated on the forgiveness of God sit in their pews Sunday after Sunday holding a grudge against somebody else across the, across the auditorium. I will not forgive that person. You won't believe what they said about me. You won't believe what they did to me. You won't believe what they did. Let me tell you something. You'll never forgive them in your own power. You don't have the power to forgive. But God does. And God is able to help you release that person from that grudge, from that bitterness that you've been holding on to. And so tonight, I want us to increase our reliance on God. Stop relying on yourself. You are not able. The best of us are not able 
to do the things that we need to do. But God is able. Would you bow with me? As we bow our heads and close our eyes tonight, we do this to give each other a little bit of privacy so that we can respond without embarrassment to what God has said. And I don't know what you're dealing with tonight, but I have no doubts that there are people in this room who could identify with what Paul described as being under pressure, being stretched beyond your limits, being overwhelmed and overpowered and losing hope. And I want to remind you that your God is able. You say, how able is He? He's able to do more than you can even imagine or ask. So won't you come tonight and ask Him to do what you can't not do? If that's you here tonight, and there's something you cannot do, you've been struggling with it, now would be a good time to come and get the power of God on your life. As we lay aside our ability, as we admit our own inability, we open the door to God's ability and power in our life. Whatever it may be, I invite you to come as we sing this hymn of invitation.